Hey y'all, welcome to class. This is White Homework, a podcast about race, racism, and restorative justice. I'm your host, Tori Williams-Douglas. I'm a writer, speaker, and an anti-racist educator. And today my guest is Joe Lumen. And Joe is a pastor. Still a pastor. Yes, still a pastor. Um, but I think that pastors have... Um, a lot of really important work in uh, anti-racism <laughs> and are a very, um, well, I'll get into it more. We can talk about the church and stuff, but I, yes. So as I was saying before, <laughs> before I started the episode, um, I am a non-believer and I think that, um, but I, I cannot get away from, liberation theology like i tell my atheist friends to read james cone because i'm just like you you have to and i don't um there's just there is there i haven't found anywhere in like the non-belief sector um that is focused on liberation right like there's some liberation politics um especially like far left kind of Marxist, communist, radical, liberation, anarchy, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that, all of that comes with a lot of, um, I guess, death and destruction. It, like it comes with war and like revolution is, um, we have this idea of revolutions being like this really glamorous thing in the U S and, um, don't really think about like, Oh no, people are dying. Right. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, when people say, and I get frustrated and I say this too, like burn it all down. Like I'm done. I'm right. fucking done. Um, but then I'm also like, okay, but there's still people in the house who right. are innocent. So like what, do, so um, for me, this is why liberation theology is so essential to anti-racism is because I haven't found um, anything that honors uh, humans, like all humans equally, um, their like dignity and autonomy and, and, and just like immense, immeasurable value and is liberation focused. Yeah. And so that's really why, that's really why I wanted to talk to you was because I think that that is so important. And for me, that's like, that's just my own personal morality is harm reduction. And so I can't fully get on board with this idea of, um, like, yeah, just, just burn it all down. Doesn't right. matter. We'll just start over. Right. Oh. Um, cause yes, yeah, like there's a lot of innocent, innocent people here. So, Very. um, yeah. I, so anyway, uh, you want to tell people about, uh, how you kind of transitioned from, I guess, like white evangelicalism essentially to, <laughs> to yes. a more like open. Yeah. So I'm a woman of color. I am Colombian and my ancestors are the Chipcha people of Colombia um, at least the majority of my ancestors, of course, there is a Spanish and there is, you know, a whole bunch of other little things. But the majority of my ancestors are Chipcha people of Colombia. And I ended up in white evangelical world. I mean, submerged into it. I lost myself entirely to it. Um, I was a white evangelical girl in a brown body. It was mm-hmm. the strangest thing. Like looking back, I'm like, who was she? Why did she take over me? I don't like that. I hate that. Um, 
And there was a lot of abuse, a lot of abuse. And I didn't recognize the layers of the abuse because everybody was being abused. Everybody is abused inside of toxic evangelical spaces, which are evangelical spaces. Um, Everybody's abused. But then there was this extra layer of I am a woman. So there is this, you know, and then I was assumed heterosexual. I assumed myself heterosexual too. So there is this layer. I'm not heterosexual. And there is this other layer of self-hatred. And then I am a woman of color with indigenous ancestors that were demonized and murdered by Christianity. And so there is this extra, you know, and I didn't know all of that until I started recognizing the trauma and I started, I couldn't, I couldn't be inside of those spaces anymore. I, I wanted, I prefer to be um, dead, to be honest, than to keep being mm. in this world. So I had to walk away, even though I knew walking away was going to cost me everything. Uh, but I, I was like, it's worth it. It's worth walking away, even if it costs me everything, because I am here ready to die. I don't want to keep living right. anymore. So I walked away and I found me instead. And it was in the work of deconstructing all of my faith was really great. And realizing that a lot of what had been given to me was just bullshit. It was really great. And being it, well, it was really painful too. You, you know, I mean, I'm sure that people that can have gone through that. It's really painful, but it's also great. There is this freedom that comes with that. But then I started decolonizing and recognizing the layers of abuse and recognizing that I had been given so much self-hatred, especially from being with indigenous ancestors. I remember being asked to pray that I renounced all of the demonic things from my, you know, bloodline, that I renounced all the generational curses from my ancestors. And I I had to pray all of these things. Like I had to actually pray all of these things and recognizing that that is just internalized self-hatred telling me that my blood was tainted with demon bullshit. (laughs) Uh, And instead I decided, you know what? Spirituality is beautiful and it served my ancestors and it has served marginalized people for always. I am reclaiming this. And I spent my whole life giving myself to theology and learning theology and studying theology, learning Hebrew and Greek and reading this Bible time and time and time again. And I said, there has to be beauty in it because at the end of the day, everything in the world is either a weapon for destruction or a tool for liberation. Um, And I just said, I'm going to find the tool for liberation that is in this faith that was kind of shoved into my life and into my ancestry. And I found it in the marginalized voices. I did. I found this tool for liberation in the voices of people from Latin America and voices from black theologians and queer theologians. And, and I, everything just resonated with me and was so beautiful. And it aligned so beautifully too with indigenous spirituality that I was now studying. And I said, why do I have to continue to give up things? I I was demanded to give up my identity. I was demanded to give up my true self for this evangelical world. Why do I have to also give up Christianity? Like, why? I get to be a Christian and divest from every single toxic toxic ideology that comes from Christianity. I get to. I get to also. I don't believe in God as a being. So officially speaking, I'm a Christian kind of atheist, kind of. Um, And so I get to divest from all of it. I get to not believe in a being that is God and still hold on to divinity And I get to claim that I am a pastor and I get to still be everything that I want to be because they don't get to take one more thing from me. They took too much already. They don't get to take one more thing from me. So that's how I ended up here, being a pastor that is kind of a Christian atheist and reclaiming the 
the tool for liberation than Christian that Christianity can be. I love that so much because there is, um, well, for a, um, for a million reasons, I guess I should be honest, but um, it reminds me of this idea in 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 Christianity of the way that the word of God is a double-edged sword, right? And how we're constantly taught this and people, it it is, it's, it's, the Bible is a tool and you can use it for oppression or liberation. And I think that it is completely valid to when you have been abused for decades, right? In these really toxic spaces, I think that, um, being able to being able to say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not putting up with yep. your stuff anymore. I'm not letting you call the shots. Um, this is, you know, I get to, I get to live my life the way that I want to. And, um, you don't, you don't get to take that away from me. I think that that's so empowering. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that it's so interesting that we as women of color have to give up everything in our identity, right? Like as queer women of color, we have to give up everything. White men never have to give up anything. They never have to surrender their whiteness or their maleness or their cisness to Jesus. Right. It's just us. They get to be their full selves because I guess like. God looks like them. God looks like them. Yes. And, and white men are like the pinnacle of humanity. Right. Or something. Um, Which is funny because that is. That idea comes from, it's funny that white male pastors think that because that idea comes from, um, essentially from like social Darwinists and, and, (laughs) and eugenics and people who spent their entire scientists who spent their entire lives trying to prove that white men were superior to everybody else on the planet. Right. Right. Um, and this is after they colonized us, right. They had, they had to have an excuse. There came a point where they couldn't say, oh, well, God done it, right? They have they had to have like an argument. And so they started manufacturing all of this information. This is what I'm reading about right now. But um it is it's funny it's so funny to me that they took this ideology that literally came out of essentially like this darwinist ideology um and 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 they don't even question it, right? Yeah. It's not it's if you call it idolatry, they freak out. Right. They freak out. And I don't know. It's just like, okay, well, yeah. So I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to keep using the tools that you're using because why would, why would I not? And also it's a little bit more fun that way. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of the reason why I still call myself a Christian is because I love them seeing freak out. You know, Mm -hmm. no, you don't get to be a Christian. I'm like, I get to be whatever the hell I want. And you don't get to tell me anything anymore. Nothing. Your opinion of me means nothing. And how they tell me Christianity has to be inside of these bounds and inside of these lanes that we set up. And I say, Uh no, it doesn't. I'm going to flip it out of it and I'm going to still be a Christian. And I actually can sit down with you and discuss biblically how everything that I'm saying, it, it lines up. You know, I can, because you can bend the Bible to mean literally anything and to um, agree with your ideology, with everything, you know, everything. So I love to say it's, it's a rejection of whiteness to say, I will not align with your theology and you don't get to say my theology is wrong. You just Mm -hmm. don't get to, you absolutely don't get to. And this reclaiming of my agency by, by saying you are no longer the arbiter of my faith and you will never be again. That's Mm -hmm. it. 
And so I do it part of it because it makes me um, happy to see them freak out. And it proves to them that you can have a faith that is non-harmful because we exist. All of us that have still hold on to some semblance of faith that are committed to not causing harm to anybody else that are absolutely committed to liberation for all or like it's liberation for all or we are not going to stop the work that's it uh we are committed to that and we are christians so the choice to have an abusive theology and an abusive religion is that a choice it's Mm -hmm. a choice it's not because god said it's because you're choosing to be abusive and you're choosing to have a white supremacist theology that's that's all it is and my existence is proof of that Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as, as someone who left the church, I know we talk about deconstruction, which may or may not be the right word. Um, apologies to any actual theologians out there. I'm not one of you. Um, but I have noticed so many people conflating um, deconstruction and decolonization. And those are, those are not that's that's just not what it is because there are so many people who leave religion i'm like i'm sure you know this there's there's a lot of toxicity and atheism and um there's a lot of white supremacy and atheism and (laughs) it's like no deconstructing from christianity is not one that's not doing the work frankly because you can do the work yeah you can do the work and and still be a christian and also it and it's like it's still the opposite of decolonization, right? You're still functioning under the guise of power and empire and accumulation of wealth. And I just, it it just like makes my skin crawl when people say that deconstructing is decolonizing. Like, no, no, it's no, it's not. (laughs) And I love that you said it's not doing the work because deconstruction is for me. Deconstruction is about me. What is it that I know and why do I know it? Decolonizing is not about me. Decolonizing is always communal. It's about mm-hmm. community. It's about ensuring that the world is a safe place for the most marginalized so that all of us can be okay. So when yes. you conflate the two, you're thinking that because you are well, therefore the rest of us are well too. Centering again your well-being mm-hmm. as the well-being of the community, which is yeah. whiteness in yes. itself. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's it's not doing the work. And I also get, I don't like when people that are incompletely... Um, And I know all of us have been traumatized and all of us have been oppressed in some way. However, if you have a lot of privileged identities, you're not decolonizing. Your job is to dismantle. Mm. Very different, you know? Decolonizing is for those who have been oppressed. Decolonizing is for those of us who have been asked and demanded to let go of all of our identities to be able to fit in in the system and be safe. Dismantling is for those of you who are safe in the system And it is then your job to take apart this entire system that is harming everybody else. But if the world doesn't change, you'll still be safe. For us, decolonizing means that we survive. (laughs) It means that our descendants survive. It means that my children get to exist without me having to give them tools for survival. For Uh you, it means that you're doing the work to ensure others are safe. And and there is a huge difference. The amount of trauma that you're going through when you decolonize versus when you dismantle is completely different. Uh-huh. Um, so co-opting the, I, the ideologies of decolonizing to sound, um, like you're doing really important work instead of talking about how your job is to dismantle is also harmful. Yes. So, no, you're dismantling. You're not decolonizing. That's, that's why a white cis hetero man cannot talk about decolonizing work. They don't, they have never had to do it. They are safe in the world, mm-hmm. everywhere in the world. My, my husband is a white man. 
and he talks about, we were talking about, I said, can you find a place in the world? Can you imagine a place in the world where you're not safe? Because he he go, works out at 11 p.m. sometimes. I don't know why. But he goes out and goes up and down these stairs by our house. And it's dark. And I said, I can't yeah. do that. I can't go at 11 p.m. up and down stairs. I can't. I said, can you imagine a world, a place in the world where you are not safe? And he was like, nope, I'm celebrated everywhere. My presence is celebrated everywhere in the world. And being conscious and aware of that fact makes mm-hmm. ensures that you understand that your work is to dismantle. So everybody has that level of safety. Decolonizing yeah. means that I stop internalizing what I've been told to internalize and I resist oppression. It's, mm-hmm. it's very different. And the difference matters. I, I get annoyed when I see someone with all the privilege being like, I'm decolonizing. I'm like, you don't even know you're not colonized. Right. Decolonizing from what? (laughs) From where? (laughs) I know. It was like decolonization would look like you packing up and leaving. Like, yes. Go back to where you came from. (laughs) (laughs) That's how white people decolonize. Go back to Europe. Um. (laughs) Give us your land. Give us the land and the money, Uh by the way. Give us the Uh land and the money, and then you're decolonizing there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And it, it's, it, it is, it's so functionally, it is so different because the system um, of colonization, right? That the white supremacy, Western supremacy, um, these systems are systems that emotionally and monetarily um, and socially benefit white people, right. right? So telling them you have to dismantle this really kind of shows where they are yeah. in the process, right? If it's if it's about looking good or if it's actually about, no, I have to undo the harm that my ancestors did because just morally that's the right thing to do. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it really, it's very telling how people respond, Absolutely. how white folks respond to being told like, no, you, you got to dismantle all of this. Right. Like you're not the hero. Stop making yourself the hero in this story. Uh-huh. But they can't. They can't because they're coded. They've only ever seen themselves as the hero, right? Yeah. There is yeah. no, there is no movie about like a like rock star native indigenous <laughs> lawyer in New York City who like leaves, like <laughs> gives up his job and goes to the Midwest and saves a bunch of little starving white children from the plague or from famine or whatever. Like that movie doesn't exist. No. Like there is no narrative anywhere that I'm aware of where white people are not the saviors of themselves as individuals of themselves as like a community or of us, yeah. <laughs> which okay. is like I mean, they're Tom- saving us is harmful. But anyway, no. Yeah. But Tom Cruise saves um, samurai culture, you know, yes. in the last samurai, yes, he that- able to save samurai culture from even Japanese people couldn't do it. But Tom Cruise <laughs> jumps in and yep. Oh my God, you saved Samurai Cole, like amazing, you know? They cannot even fathom a world where they are not the heroes. They cannot no. imagine that being a possibility. So when you invite them to that, it's the difference between, I mean, decolonizing means that I stop betraying my ancestors and mm-hmm. dismantling means that you start betraying yours. Yeah. And that, yeah. that is a subtle difference, but it's humongous. I need you to betray your ancestors so that I can stop betraying mine and my children mm-hmm. don't feel like they have to betray theirs. Mm-hmm. And that means you're not going to be the hero. You're going to make us the hero. Right. And you can't, they can't, they can't even, like their whole entire body starts like going, like there are hives coming out and, and no, there are, there's a physical reaction to this conversation. 
It, that is absolutely true. That's I literally start all of my anti-racist training by saying, okay, so some of the things that I say might activate your nervous system, and that is normal because you have been socially, culturally coded to see yourself as the good guy, that it is not within the realm of possibility that you are the bad guy. Um, or if you are the bad guy, you're also the good guy, right? Because everybody looks like you. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, but I'm like, yeah, your, your nervous system gets activated because you have been taught to believe through, through narrative, through culture, that you are the savior of the world. And I think it's really funny because you may have grown up with this in, in like youth group or whatever. I grew up with this where our youth pastors are always be like, um, are you aware of the culture that you're living in? Like any dead fish can float downstream. Like, <laughs> do you know if you're pushing back against culture, if you're just going with the flow? And I'm like, dude, at this point, it's so funny that, you, you've normalized yourself as the baseline for humanity and anything that is not a white cis heterosexual heterosexual male is a deviation from the norm. Right. Right. And you have not examined that despite lecturing us about going with the culture. Like you don't even know that exists. Again, we try to talk about to them about this and they go, um, no, what? That's not even a real thing. It's like, no, you're literally committing idolatry because you worship yourself. Yeah. You are so invested in worshiping yourself. And, and we're the sacrifice, right? Like people of color are, get sacrificed for, for white people to worship whiteness. Right. Um, but they, they lose it. They absolutely lose it if you tell them. And, and the thing is, that's why I love some of the narratives of Christianity. Because if you flip them, mm, yep. I'm like, it, they tell you, you cannot be of the world. You know, don't be on the world. And I'm like, the world is white supremacy. The world is patriarchy. The world is capitalism. So not being of the world means resisting white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and any other system of oppression. However, you are the ones upholding it. So yes. who is really here upholding, like who is being of the world and who is not? Because when I talk about anarchy, which is what I am, an anarchist, mm -hmm. you are telling me that I am wrong, but you are going with the flow. You're the fish yes. going downstream with the capitalistic nonsense of this supposed democracy. And in the uh -huh. meantime, those of us are like, this is all bullshit. And what you need is to give us all back our agency on our land and let us be. You're like, no, that's, you're going too far. Like, you're dangerous. Right. You're working for the devil. So mm -hmm. when we are so, like when we are resisting the world, we are from the devil. But when you are upholding the world, you are from God. How convenient. Yeah. How motherfucking convenient yes. that it just works out that way for you. I know. I know. It's it's so wild to me. And I, I still I'm still trying to like kind of encapsulate this idea in in ways well in 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 tweet size statements. Yes. I, <laughs> um, I feel that, you know, yeah. Like it, this morning, I, this morning I tweeted out, um, the wages, the wages of white supremacy is death, <laughs> which is like from a Bible verse. That's the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, hi, let's talk about this. And it, somebody, um, there was an individual who responded and said, yeah, but it's mostly it's mostly death for, you know, black indigenous people of color. And I was like, y'all are killing the planets. It's going to catch up with you too. Like <laughs> yeah. you, there I, is there is nowhere else to go. And this <laughs> idea that having privilege means that they are not dying as though yeah, moral death is not real. That, as though them that. being completely morally bankrupt is not death mm -hmm. too. I mean, I'd I'd yes. rather I'd rather die physically but continue to keep my, you know, ethical 
you know, yes. everything that I did was ethical, but I died physically. You killed me, actually. You, I didn't die. You killed right. me. I would rather you kill me for maintaining my integrity than staying alive, but completely betraying everyone around me and being absolutely morally bankrupt. What is truly mm-hmm. death when we're talking about death? You know, like... Yeah. My yeah. indigenous ancestors yeah. didn't die because they were bad. They were murdered. Yeah. I have to live with the fact that they were murdered. And I am proud of the ones that resisted. And I am also proud of the ones that didn't resist and stayed safe. I am proud of yeah. them. I am proud of them all. But you mm-hmm. have to live with the fact that your ancestors were morally bankrupt enough to come over here, lie to us about who we were, lie to us about the mm-hmm. fact that we didn't have souls, supposedly, lie to us about the fact that we had to be subjected to you and and, and needed to be enslaved by you. And then you stole, pillaged, raped who is the, who's dead? What's dead? Really? Absolutely. No. And I, I, you know, I didn't have, I don't, it's just, it's a busy day for me. I didn't have time to get into it on Twitter, but I, that's (laughs) like, that's always my first thought is I'm like, well, morally y'all are definitely dead. (laughs) The fact that you allow this system to continue, like, yeah, no, it's like, it's just your physical body takes a few decades to catch up. Like morally, yeah, you're you're a rotting corpse morally because yep. this system is so harmful. It's so destructive. And like maybe in the past it was harder to see, quote unquote, but now we have like everybody's got a camera on their phone. And so now we can see the fact that it's like, oh yeah, you're still like you're still executing us in the street for you know, infractions of existing, right? Existing in a black or brown body. Um and like yeah okay we're it's like we're really we're really sad about that okay well do something well I mean we can't we have to have police (laughs) right it's like this is literally that's police are literally the enforcement of white supremacy like that's that's why they were invented they exist the only reason they exist (laughs) it's just so wild to me that is that yeah that you would say okay if I'm thriving um like my finances or my portfolio looks great. Like I'm doing really well. And it's like, no, come on. Like what you're destroying the planet. You've destroyed your own soul completely. And um, And it's that, you know, like you gave up your soul for privilege. You gave up up your soul for privilege. And there is nothing more Mm -hmm. disgusting than that. I, I, I recently joined TikTok which was both very fun and a mistake. They are they yes. those two realities are <laughs> coexisting yes. right now. Same. Very fun, <laughs> very bad. Uh, but I saw this video from this kid. He looks very young, which makes me also, you know, it also, you know, it's different when somebody's very young. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's very young. And he said, why do you think that all of these celebrities are becoming Christians? It's because it doesn't matter that you have everything in the world. You still need Jesus. And I was like, no, it's because okay. we're all traumatized, kid. <laughs> it's because, and Christianity offers a, an easy way out to look like you're better than, except you don't have mm-hmm. to do anything. All you have to do is raise your hand at the end of a service, and then everybody's going to yeah. applaud for you and say, oh my gosh, you're doing so great. And it didn't cost you any privilege at all. In fact, it's going to give you more privilege uh, because Christians are going to yeah. flood to you and give you more money. If we uh, want to talk about what it, like, Laying down privilege is always going to be costly. People are not rushing to Christianity because it's the right move. The right move is always, always going to cost you something. And what is it costing people to become Christians? Nothing. Not in the West anyways. They they look like the good guys. They pretend they are the good guys. They are Uh upheld and they are, you know, 
a month and a half ago, they had a president that was protecting them from everything they need to be protected. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? We have representatives all over saying that Christians are the best thing that have happened. Now, if you really want to do better, if you really want to do better, it's going to cost you privilege. If you continue to hold on to all the privilege, then you're not doing better. You're just finding new ways to appease your conscience. That's all. That's mm-hmm. everything that they are doing. Yeah. And Christianity is very good at helping people appease their conscience. Mm-hmm. Very good at saying, you get to be a white supremacist, and also we're going to give you a thumbs up. Both. Yeah. Yay. So that's why yeah. they are becoming Christians. Christianity gives them the thumbs up they are looking for without having to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, too, because there's this whole persecution narrative that they come up with, right, that isn't backed up by any data. And also, like, again, you think wearing a mask is persecution, so maybe shut the fuck up. But they have this idea that they're that they're being persecuted for, for becoming Christian or whatever. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, as you said, like, your bank account's getting bigger. Is that what persecution looks like? Like, could you tell me a little bit more about your version of persecution? Because I might like that. Right, right. Maybe we want to just all jump in. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, having no, a that's straight a, face, having a straight face and looking at people whose ancestors have been murdered, enslaved, treated like they are way superhuman and saying, I'm mm-hmm. being persecuted because I have to wear a mask. Like mm-hmm. the amount of arrogance... You know, like you just have to be so incredibly arrogant and completely disconnected from reality to be able to even make that statement. Like yeah. how incredibly disconnected from reality are you? You, you mm-hmm. have no idea what it is to fear for your people all the time. Like you have no, no. idea. So no, you just don't even think about it. It's not, it's not, it, it, you know, it's not something you ever have to even conceptualize. Right theoretically. Right. Right. It's yeah. not, it's not even a thought experiment you have to do. Um, but man, yeah, that's true. It's whiteness is such a self, um, sustaining system, right. That people don't recognize, like people don't see it. And, and, and so those of us with, um, well, I would say like people of color, I'll say it this way, people of color who use their, being adjacent to whiteness as privilege or power. Right. Right. And, and so, because they would rather we all do the dirty work for them um, and, and police one another and dehumanize one another <laughs> instead of going like, wait a second, you guys, that was no. Uh-uh. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that it's really, it's, it's just so fascinating that it's like this reinforcing system where you can do something that costs you nothing and that will make you like more quote unquote famous or, or whatever, or again, like you said, like make you richer and you can literally say like, I'm, I'm being, I'm now being persecuted right for, for even, this action that I took. Yeah. Even inside, I mean, um, a lock, a lock, I, I always forget their last name, but a lock on, mm. um, you know, he's a trans magnificent educator um Mm -hmm. they were they were talking about white feminism and how even if you have less privilege than the white man but you still have privilege in the system you have the option of moving toward privilege or moving toward liberation and if you move toward privilege you are going to have to oppress a whole bunch of people and so that's Mm -hmm. what they continue to do because it's just so much easier to find things that are going to move me toward privilege i am and i'm going to trade all of these things for more privilege 
even if yes. it costs a whole bunch of people their own safety. So it's when they were talking about how all these white women who were a lot of them were Christians, a lot of them, most of them were Christians, mm-hmm. were talking about how we get the right to vote because we are domesticated enough. We have been domesticated mm-hmm. enough that it's proof now that we are as smart as the white man. Therefore, we get to vote. And to prove it further to you, we're going to hold workshops all over the nation for Native women and Black women to teach them how to be domesticated like us. But they don't get the vote because they aren't domesticated. We do because we are. That's how we prove that we are domesticated. And that's exactly what white people do. You know, they trade things and they, they try to get more privilege. What they are doing is hoarding more privilege for them instead of going toward liberation. Liberation will mm-hmm. always cost you privilege. Liberation will yeah. always make sure that the most privileged are going to grunt at you and try to stop you and silence mm-hmm. you. So if the most privileged are happy with you and clapping for you and throwing money at you, you're just not doing something. You're doing something bad, period. Yeah. You're harming people. This is the only yes. way. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. And, and I think also just the fact that Again, this is, I guess it was probably last year or the year before, but I was like, I don't think that um, evangelicalism could exist without white nationalism and capitalism. I, I like, I really don't, I don't think that they would see themselves if they, if those two things were removed from the U.S., like if we just woke up tomorrow and there was no white nationalism and there was no capitalism, I don't think that evangelical, white evangelical Christianity could survive that. Because it's so fundamental to their identity, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it's so fundamental to the lens through which they see the world that they don't even they don't even recognize it, right? They don't even see it. I would imagine most of the people that we are talking about, if they were to listen to this episode, would have no idea what we were talking about. Like they know that we weren't happy with them, right? <laughs> but they'd just be like, "Are you just like being reverse racist, or do you hate Christians, or like?" But they Depression. they don't. They would think right? oppression. Because, yes, yes. But they, they don't, we speak both languages, right? Exactly. Because we're in, we're in it. So we know, we can speak the evangelical language. Mm-hmm. But they don't know how to speak the language of liberation. No. And so even if they're coming in and like listening to us talk, it's not, it's not going to make any sense to them. No. Because they're so, they're so deep in it. And they are so steadfast in their refusal to examine their privilege, right? Their refusal to examine whiteness, their refusal to examine capitalism, to say that examining capitalism is like anti-God somehow. Um, And yeah, I just, I really don't think that they could survive without those two things. I don't think that that part of the religion would, would exist. No, because they have normalized Christianity as white nationalism and capitalism, right? That's, That's just, it's, that's what Christianity is. Not only is it what Christianity is, this is what God wants, That's exactly how they process it. God created a world where the U.S. was best and white Mm -hmm. was best and capitalism was best. And that's what God wants. And any other framework or ideology that resists that is clearly not from God. It cannot be. But then you read the Bible and it continues to say, like, none of what you're saying even makes sense. None of Uh it. None of it. You just continue to bend these words to make sure that you can push all of these narratives to say that God gave you permission to do all this bullshit and harm people people but mm-hmm. not it's not there at all like it's not but they can't comprehend a world where that doesn't exist that's their normal that is 
They have mm. created a normal mm-hmm. that is that they have equated with divine normal. And they decided, yeah. okay, yeah, this is it. We we did it. We we did it. We created the world God wanted. Somehow it kind of sucks for a lot of people. We don't understand why. It's probably because they don't pray enough. That's just because yeah. they they're because they're sinful and they have, you know, they had these demonic religions and, right. and false gods that they worshiped. And so God is punishing them. And it, yeah, I, I love that you say that because like you worship a God that blessed a country that was founded on literal genocide and slavery. Like you worship a monster. Can you like what? And we don't get to America. Right. And we don't get to pretend (laughs) that Christianity didn't have a part on that. You know, because when they are like, yeah. oh, that wasn't Christianity. And I'm like, nope, you don't get to pretend that regardless of mm-hmm. what you're, you're, you know, you say about America, regardless of what you say about the people that founded this country, regardless of everything, colonization and the ensla- enslaving all of the African people to bring them to America, all of that mm-hmm. is rooted in Christianity. All of it. Yes. All of it is rooted yeah. in Christianity. The, the dehumanizing of black, brown bodies is rooted in Christianity. Let me go further. Mm-hmm. The creation of race is rooted in Christianity. Yes. The creation oh, of is. gender Literally. is rooted in Christianity. The creation yeah. of all of these ideas that homosexuality is bad, all of it is rooted in Christianity. It just so happens that it has existed for so long that we think it's secular too. The creation of the abusive parenting ideologies, abusive oh, sex- yeah. sexual ideologies, like all of these ideas, all of them, if you dig, you find Christianity at the root of it, all of it. So... Mm. Tell me again how your religion is so good, you know? Yeah. We were talking about the white supremacist, you know, Christianity, Mm -hmm. because I don't Mm want to erase the faith of Sojourner Truth, too. Right. Um, Yes. But all of this is rooted in Christian. It wouldn't exist. I mean, I'm sure we would have come up with something because oppression exists. But at the end of the day, if we took apart all of the systems of oppression and all of the abuse that is happening in the world, if we just dig, every time I dig, I'm like, of course, Christianity is underneath this. Of course. Every (laughs) single, like, fatphobia, Christianity is underneath it. Everything, you know, ableism, Mm -hmm. Christianity is underneath it. Mm, Militarism. Yep. You look at anything that is causing harm to humans or animals or the planet, Christianity is underneath it. In the West. Mm -hmm. In the West, absolutely. If you cannot grapple with that reality and sit with that truth, then your faith is going to continue to cause a lot of harm. You're going to continue to uphold it just because, you know, you chose to make a God in your own image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And, And, you know, it's colonizing the Americas and then turning back around and colonizing Africa yeah. and Asia. And, and um, again, saying it's because you're doing the will of God by exporting your white Christianity to, to, to the world. Yeah. And, you know, like, and it's, it's just, it's so ignorant too, because, you know, like the, the most important, the most important preacher this country has ever seen was Jonathan Edwards. And that dude owned slaves. Like he was a slave owner I know. and he was the most influential preacher in American history. I know. And, and you like <laughs> refusal to admit it's the refusal to admit for me. Like I can't, mm. you refuse to admit that there is toxicity amongst your theology. I'm not even about because pe- they are like, no, people have used it. I'm like, Shh, no, 
It's your theology. It's your theology. Right. Your theology is abusive at the core. Your belief mm-hmm. that you're superior, better than, that the world has to be like you. All of that is where white supremacy found its, you know, like yes. it, it found in Christianity a great tool to continue to push its narrative of supremacy. That's it. Yep. You know, the, the Roman mm-hmm. Empire didn't decide that they were going to love Christianity and push it as the official religion because it was true. They decided right. because it was a great tool to push the empire further. It's just a really good tool to push the empire. Because if God tells you that pushing the empire is the will of God, then where, mm-hmm. where do you go from there? What do you tell them? Like, no, it's not the will of God. They don't believe you. So it, right. it just serves a really as a really great tool of empire. And their refusal mm-hmm. to admit that, I made a post about how... Um, you know, it's the supremacy, the the savior complex and the superiority complex yeah. of Christians that makes people really dislike Christians. It's not the religion mm-hmm. per se, it's the superiority right. complex and the savior complex that is so baked into their theology. And the amount of comments of people being like, no, we're not superior. We just want to help people by telling them about Jesus. I'm like, no, oh do you not hear the things that are coming out of your mouth? <laughs> we, don't, we don't think we're saving them. We're just trying to help them. Again, are you not listening mm-hmm. to the words coming out of your mouth? Like right. you are defining a thing by saying it's not a thing, by saying it is a thing. That doesn't work that way. Right. And it's like you you dehumanize us so much in order to get to the point where you can say, well, we, we need to help you. And also we decide what help is. Right. Right? Yeah. You need to be saved and we decide what saving looks like. Right. I, I talked because the, the the reason I made that video was somebody saying like, we, it's just you are all, which is something that has been said to me a lot. It's like you're walking to, toward a cliff and I'm just trying to stop you from dying. And I'm like, bro, I have a parachute. Leave me alone. Perhaps all I want is to jump and be free and have fun and enjoy and, you know, partner with pleasure and joy and everything that I'm supposed to be doing in this world. But you continue to hold me back and be like, no, you don't get to enjoy life. No, you don't get to exist. No, you don't get. Leave me alone. I know there is a cliff. I'm not an idiot. All of us see the cliffs. Some of us just want to fucking jump and you get to just leave us alone. You know, we know what Uh we're doing. And even if we die in the jump, we wanted to. Right. Leave us alone. Because like agency and autonomy and dignity and all of these things that you, for some reason, only apply again to white, cis, heteros, like heterosexual men, yeah. you know, and, and in smaller doses to other people who are deviations of white men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Another thing I learned from a lock recently that the creation of women, you know, was, was that was yes. men are the ideal yes. human and women mm-hmm. are just a deviation of maleness. Yes. It's like, oh God. And then it goes, you know, it goes downhill from there. The rest of us are just lucky to even exist as humans. Somehow we get to form sentences, even though we are, but like something that is moving. Right. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, it, it, it really truly is. Um, and I think that that is that ideology, which is, you know, it's, it's rampant in, in white evangelical Christianity, but it's also rampant in atheism. Um, like those are kind of the two circles I've ever been in really. So, um, you know, but there's, there's, there isn't a concerted effort towards liberation, as I said at the beginning Mm -hmm. in, in, within the construct of atheism. Um, there's still kind of the hierarchy, you know, with, with the, the white dudes at the top and everybody else is kind of like, Eh, we'll see. Um, 
so I really, I really just, the reason that I appreciate your work so much is, is the fact that you were so focused on, on liberation and what that looks like. Um, and speaking truth to power in acknowledging what it looks like for white people to dismantle, right. And, and being honest about that and, and, and forthright as opposed to trying to make it sound good or look good or feel good. Um, just being, just being honest with whiteness. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's just such important work in, you can't, you can't have liberation without it. Right. Yeah. And the only people that try to save me, the only two groups of people that try to save me are evangelicals and atheists. Mm-hmm. Atheists are trying to save me from Christianity, even though I'm choosing it. Like I, I right. choose it. Con- like I know more about Christianity than them. I'm pretty sure. Right. I'm yeah. choosing it consciously. Um, and then evangelicals are trying to save me from my version of Christianity. Like, are the only two groups. So I'm like, if you don't decolonize, you know, white supremacy mm-hmm. will still be in you. Or if you don't dismantle uh, whatever it is that you need to do, white supremacy will still be in you. These patriarchal ideas, you're still going to be a parent that, you know, has authoritarian mm-hmm. ideologies and thinks that you're going to remove your your children's agency from them. And that's parenting. You're still going to have a relationship with your partners or romantic, whatever, um, that are going to be harmful where you think that you own the other, like you have to undo a whole bunch of the doing of systems of oppression, regardless of where you land theologically. And, and that is work that I don't see a lot of, um, especially people that have walked away from Christianity that are white and cis and hetero and have privilege they just walk away and they go like, oh, I'm so much healthier now that I'm not Christian. And I'm like, but you're still causing a shit ton of harm, <laughs> just in a yeah. different name. So, yes. I mean, I don't care where you land theologically. That's none of, I don't care. But the reality is that BIPOC that are Christians are causing less harm than you. Yes. And Or mm-hmm. queer people that are still Christians are causing less harm than you. So yeah. it's not about your theological frameworks I mean, it is, it's, but it's about the systems of oppression that are baked into your ideologies regardless. Yeah, absolutely. So good. Okay, sweet. Uh, Joe, how can people find you? Um, well, wherever you happen to be. Yeah, I'm mostly on social media just because I like the accessibility of being on social media. I also have a Patreon, but most of the things that I share on Patreon are also shared in social media, um, especially on my Instagram where I do entire like long highlight stories on deconstructing a lot of ideologies that have been given to people. And I share those for patrons in more easy, like easily digestible ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, you can just find me all over social media. And lately I've been on Clubhouse a lot, just having conversations because I like the fact that I don't have to have my face so I don't have to put makeup on or anything like I'm in bed talking yeah. to people so yes. yeah that's where people can find me awesome you're amazing I will I'll link to all of your all the things on on patreon and in the show notes and whatever um you all can well uh you all can find me on the internet frequently at Tori Glass. Um, if you have disposable income and you are a white person, you should become a patron and join Pay the Rent Club because you will be contributing to our initiative to pay rent for two black families for an entire year so they don't have to stress about finances and COVID all at the same time. Um, 
There's also White Homework merch now, which is wild to think about. But if you are in Pay the Rent Club or higher, uh, you get like cool merch that comes out every three months. Uh, yeah, if you don't have disposable income, you can rate the podcast. Um, at this time, we're only accepting feedback in the form of five or more stars. So keep that in mind when you vote. Vote, rate, whatever. Jesus Christ. Um, you could also write a social media post about white homework, or you could text this episode to a friend. Be amazing. Either way, you can follow me at Tori Glass at White Homework. Um, and if you have anti-racism questions, you should email them to me. Um, my email is hello at toryglass.com. Um, or you can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash toryglass. Um, okay, so uh, we got a question. I'm going to um, not quote it because it's a little bit long. Essentially, what it comes down to is um, my friend wants to adopt. My friend, my white friend wants to adopt a black baby. What do I say? What do I do? Oh, and there's, there's so much like, again, it's like the dehumanization piece right? The refusal to learn about black culture, um, the refusal to, ex- ex- the refusal to respect black culture. Yep. Let's say that. Right. Um, and the idea that, that black kids are like an accessory still somehow. Yeah, qualification of just, black bodies again and again. Right. Right. Because white people think that they are, um, think that they can save us from blackness. Right, think that they can save us from indigenousness if they raise us instead of our parents, the, instead of being raised in our culture. Yeah, I the whole conversation on adoption. The last time I had it, I got like an entire week of violence oh, on God. social media uh, because I was talking about how it is just not ethical. It's yeah. just not ethical. It's not ethical, yeah. especially for a white person to adopt a person of color. And if it's mm-hmm. an international adoption, there is not one way that I can see an ethical international adoption taking place. I just cannot. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I got a lot of violence because a lot of white women got really angry with me because they were such mm-hmm. good people that adopted kids in Ethiopia. Right. Um, right. But the commodification of black and indigenous and you know people of colors are our bodies and how yeah. you i mean dig deep enough and see if there is no white saviorism in there um because i guarantee mm-hmm. that you will find it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um i think that that's a good a good maybe starting point is just the amount of rampant corruption in in adoption you know international adoption for sure but but also the coerciveness of, yeah. of like domestic quote unquote adoptions. Um, and the fact that, you know, again, like this is part of a system where we take kids of color from their parents and pay white parents to raise them because the parents of color don't have access to resources and capital sufficient to do a really good job parenting. Like it's just everything about the system is really, um, it's really gross. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I know that there are people listening who have adopted transracially and, um, I would just say 
Maya Angelou said, no better, do better. So, um, you know, and I, and I follow several people who have adopted from different African countries who are pretty vocal now about not adopting from African countries because they're very, you know, they found out through, through the process, they found out exactly what was going on. Right. Right. Um, I mean, if you, and, you have the kids now, just do the best you can do, you know, like, exactly, there's no exactly. now of what's done. No. Um, right. But if you don't and you still can then find ways in which that, that's what I think. Like, it's not, oh, okay, fine. Then I don't adopt. Then I don't do anything. No, there is a still a lot that you can right. do. How can you support the families of these children that you wanted to bring home? Yes. How can you yes. actually, all the money that you were going to spend, how can you give it to them? Because if you don't have those finances to give to them, but you do have them for adoption, then what we're talking about is you wanting to get claps for doing something good for another person. That is not, wow. the same claps are not going to be given if you're just giving the money to them to be able to do the best right. that they can. So, I mean, how can you partner with people to be able to give them the ability to keep their children? What can you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, No White Saviors has a lot of really good information, too, on um, international adoption and and the amount of corruption and child trafficking that occurs therein. Um, I actually don't know as much about domestic adoptions, but just because I know, like, in, in, in the same system, right. With, with foster care being what it is and the way that it, it incentivizes harm against parents of color. Right. right? Um, so I, I would say like, yeah, as a general rule, if you are participating in a system that perpetuates harm, um, especially against parents of color, especially against parents of color by taking their children away from them. Like, yeah, if you have, if you have the like 15, 20, $40,000 necessary to adopt, uh, yeah, the ethical thing to do would be to just give that cash to a parent who needs it. Right. <laughs> so taking kid, um, it seems you know, obvious, right. It's like, a- yeah, but, and it, like none of that money goes to the parent. Right. Because again, like you can't, you can't do that. That's, that's buying a child. So the money just goes into the system, right. into like <laughs> the adoption industrial complex, which sadly is a real thing. Um, but yeah, and the other thing I would say is if you look into the look into the history of the um, countries that have started refusing to allow U.S. citizens to adopt right. their kids, because that has been going on for decades, and it's because of corruption here in the U.S. So, yeah, there are better ways to care for people than adoption, is what I would say. Um, there are better ways to support communities than adopting kids of color. Um, you know, I think especially if you, if you don't, if you don't have any like friends of color, then yeah, like, please, please don't. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. I, like, and I, uh, like the only thing is just center the voices of the adoptees. So if yeah. you don't know any adoptees, you should. There are entire books from adoptees that are uh-huh. sharing their experience. Um, there are a lot of adoptees online that are actually sharing yes. how this has been traumatizing for them. So find mm-hmm. those voices of adoptees, which are the people with the least power in the 
triad of adoption. Yes. You know, like yes. um, they are the yes. ones with the least power. And understand that in that triad, you are the one with the most power, the one adopting, mm-hmm. the one with the most power. Mm-hmm. So your wants and desires are the least important. The most important mm-hmm. are the wants, desires, and well-being of the child first, then their family yeah. second, and last, yours. So right. all of those things, it, it's just a complex topic for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess we'll leave it there. I don't know what else to say. Sorry, guys. I didn't solve that one for you. <laughs> That's usually my job. Okay, sweet. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see you next time. White Homework is a Coba.fm production. Your host is Tori Williams-Douglas. Executive producers are Jeff Martin and Nate Frazier. Produced by Jillian Cohan-Martin. Audio production and editing by Nash Probst. Music by Kay Solace. For additional resources on White Homework, please visit whitehomework.com. For more information on other COBA podcasts, please visit COBA.fm. That's C-O-B-A dot F-M. Thanks for listening.